Welcome to 12 Scholars, a brand new podcast dedicated to personal development. In this first series, we meet 12 inspiring people, all with a bias for being proactive. To learn more about personal development and how you can take your performance to the next level, visit our website and click the button to subscribe. In this week's show, we meet Lizzie Kelly Dyson. Lizzie is a UX designer and co-founder of Ladies That UX. It's a bit like a seesaw. You kind of need to push the boundaries to make things happen. That's eight people that we've never met before. We got messages from women in Austin, Texas and Melbourne. It just sort of exploded after that. Every month we were signing new cities up. It just became a global community really quickly. Lizzie grew up in Harrogate, North Yorkshire before moving to Manchester to study web development. She's worked as a UX designer for BBC Sport, Booking.com, and more recently, Dunhumby. Always looking for the next challenge and step outside her comfort zone, Lizzie is also co-founder of a non-profit global organization that promotes women in tech. In this episode, we sit down with Lizzie to discuss being proactive, how she's promoting equality, and helping others step outside their comfort zone. So welcome, Lizzie, to 12 Scholars. Hiya. How are you doing? <laughs> Good, thanks. You? Very well, thanks. Before we go any further, just talk to me. What is a UX designer? A UX designer is notoriously bad or difficult to explain, but it's mainly around, the role is mainly around trying to design a service or a digital product or anything like that and putting the user at the heart of it. So we can build websites, but making sure that it's solving a user need instead of just looking great. Right. So UX is about user experience. Yeah. Yeah. It stands for user experience and it's a bit of psychology and design put together. So perhaps we can talk a bit about comfort zone and why is it so important to you and the role of a UX designer? I don't know if I'm ever really in my comfort zone. I'm probably a bit of an introvert and an extrovert. So probably constantly putting myself into situations where I'm not that comfortable Um, because my introvert side wants to just sort of chill out and keep myself to myself but my extroverted side is always feeling like there's something else to do and someone else to meet or something like that but I guess my comfort zone is when I'm at home chilling out with the cats and my husband and probably watching Netflix or something like that but I can only do that for so long because then I'll start to get the FOMO feeling where I'm missing out on something or I want to get involved or I should be doing something. It's interesting when you mentioned about that conflict between introvert and extrovert Mm -hmm. and that is the edge of that comfort zone. I think I'm probably quite a quite reserved person when you meet me but in my head I've always got this part of me that's always trying to throw myself into situations that I'll find myself uncomfortable. Um, When I was a student and didn't know what I was going to be doing afterwards. I'd be going to networking events and the idea of going and speaking to strangers and introducing myself would be scary and I didn't want to do it, but I would still put myself in that situation. I know that I knew that once I got there and I started to speak to people, I'd be fine. So I would just make myself go and then just deal with the situation once I got there. 
I think that's a common thing for, for a lot of people who are mm. new to networking or yeah. new to those kind of you know, social you know, situations. If you mm-hmm. walk into a room full of strangers, everybody feels yeah. though, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're outside their comfort zone. Yeah, I think a lot of people find it daunting. And we get a lot of people coming to ladies at UX, a group that I run, that have pushed themselves to go out of their comfort zone and come along maybe alone or with friends. And we try and make it as comfortable or as easy to meet people as possible because we know that that can be a daunting experience the first time you come along. So you mentioned ladies at UX. And one of the things you're passionate about is promoting women in tech. So perhaps you could talk to us um, about kind of how you actually started that off and kind of that, that first meeting of ladies at UX. Me and one of my old colleagues, Georgie, started ladies at UX because we didn't know any women in the industry at the time. We noticed that a lot of meetups were the same. So it was one person stood at the front telling you what to do and how to do it. And I mentioned that I wanted to, I missed that sort of collaborative or community side of things and being able to turn to the person next to me and just have a conversation. And off the back of that, we, after a couple of glasses of wine and having a chat about it, we decided to set up our own meetup which would be a lot more informal and geared towards women because we noticed that there were no women in the industry. This is you and Georgie over, over a few glasses of wine yeah. thinking, yep, yeah, we'll start our own meetup now. Yeah, thinking, this is a great idea. Um, I went home to tell my friends about this crazy idea that I'd come up with with Georgie and um, thought that they'd think it was a bit mad, but one of the two of them thought it was a really good idea and supported it. So the first meetup, we put it on Eventbrite and promoted it on Twitter and just wanted to see where it took us. We came up with the name, which took us quite a while, and people have commented on how it grammatically incorrect it is, but it's supposed to be a play on ladies at lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so we came up with the name, created a Twitter account and an Eventbrite page for it and just started reaching out to other women around Manchester and asked if they wanted to go for dinner one evening after work. Said, it's up to you. If you don't want to pay for anything, that's fine. But we're just going to get some burgers and some drinks. And about eight, around eight people turned up for our first meetup, which was amazing because that's eight people that we've never met before. We started it because we didn't know any women. And this was like eight people that we didn't know existed. So this was about 2013, about five years ago? Yeah. So it went down really well and we got really positive feedback. So we decided to keep it going on a monthly basis, kind of used it as an excuse to go out for dinner once a month and meet new people. And it just sort of blossomed from there. And each month we went to a different place and two women from Brighton got in touch with us and had heard about what we were doing via Twitter because news spreads on Twitter and they dropped us a message and said they wanted to start their own meetup. We thought it was a great idea. So they started their event. And then after that, news started to travel again. So we got messages from women in Austin, Texas and Melbourne. Gosh. And it just sort of exploded after that. And, th- and this was in a, a very short space of time. Yeah, our first year or two was massive. It just, I think probably the first six months were a little bit, we probably gained about five or six groups for the first six months to a year. And then after that, it was just every month we were signing new cities up. It just became 
a global community really quickly. Wow. So where, where are you today in terms of, kind of numbers, countries, number of cities? So we're in around 55 cities worldwide. It's quite difficult to quantify it, but we're sort of getting towards that where we can start to put numbers behind how many meetups we've got and how many people attend. Yeah. But and some of the smaller groups would be what, kind of 10, 20 in? Well, the smallest group we ever had is um, a group of two women in Russia, I think it is. And they used to just meet up once a month and they'd just go for a coffee or a couple of drinks and catch up. And because they didn't know any other women in the industry, they just really valued being able to speak to another woman in the industry. So we don't really measure success on the amount of people that turn up. It's more the value that you get out of it because for them, it was just great for them to meet someone else. Do you want to talk a bit about Talk UX? Yeah, so Talk UX came off the back of Ladies at UX. We started to get messages from conference organizers when we started to gain traction because they were struggling to find women to stand on the stage and talk about what they were doing or that's that's what they said anyway and we knew that there were women out there that were experienced and doing this work because our community was growing there was evidence of that but we also had a comment from someone that said women aren't doing the difficult hard stuff they're all just doing the fluffy stuff and we decided to take that on and prove them wrong. So we created Talk UX off the back of it, which is a conference of a full female lineup of women from all different areas of the UX industry and a few other areas around that. And we just wanted to prove that there were women out there doing like the gritty, difficult, like we're not just doing the fluffy stuff. Like there were women out there doing different parts of work across the whole spectrum of UX. And we're not just talking about UK now, we're talking you know, internationally, globally. Yeah. And you'll bring them together once a year, get them on stage and really create that kind of conversation going. Yeah. It's promoting the work that women are doing in the industry. We didn't want to make a fuss about the fact that it was an all-female lineup either. So we announced the conference and didn't mention any of that at all. And we wanted it to just be a focus on amazing work that's going on at the time. People happened to notice as the lineup started to get announced that there were no men on the lineup. But I think... It's a bit like a seesaw. You kind of need to push the boundaries to make things happen. It was good to get some amazing speakers from the industry and all sharing the work that they've been doing. And what locations have you had these conferences in now? So the first one was in Manchester because that's where we started and me and Georgie organized that. And then off the back of that, we wanted to follow a similar style of conferences touring as TED Talks do. So we opened it up to our meetups in our community and said, who wants to pick it up next? And Atlanta picked it up the year after. And then after that, we went to Taipei in Taiwan and then Boston. And then this year, it's coming back to Manchester for its fifth birthday. Fabulous. And what dates are they uh, this year? It's the 21st of September. Where can we find out more information about Talk UX? So if you go to www.talk-ux.com, you'll be able to see the lineup as it's announced yeah. and all the details of when and where the conference is. Or just go, go onto Twitter or kind of just yeah, Google yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're on Twitter as well if you want to get in touch. 
With respect to Ladies That UX, what sort of environment does it create and what, what sort of your benefits does it bring to the people who, who show up? I've always been a bit of a, a tomboy and I've always had, I've had more male friends than I have female friends. And when we first started to run Ladies UX, it was really nice to just have like female company had not really had that before. And I think by getting a room of women together, it just creates a different atmosphere in the room. And being able to share stories of how people have tackled different problems in the workplace, how they're finding running a project, and just being able to speak openly uh, creates a really unique atmosphere. Um, we're also really encouraging and we want to promote that people the work that people are doing. So as the group started to grow, we had people asking to do talks and people wanted to hear the talks. I think that atmosphere has created a really nice space for people to practice speaking and presenting and, and that kind of thing. So it's rather than just being a social meeting, it's now... Yeah. Um, kind of evolved into a, a small talk for those who want to you know, stand up and practice their you know, public speaking yeah. and, and presentation skills. Yeah. So when Brighton picked up Ladies at UX as the first city to take on Ladies at UX, they did a really nice workshop to kick it all off. And they asked the attendees, what is it that you want from Ladies at UX that you don't get at other meetups? And they got loads of post-it notes up on the wall and everybody dot voted. And out of that, it's, they created a meetup that worked for their city that was a bit different from Manchester. And we loved that idea. And what works for one city doesn't necessarily work for another. After that, when we started onboarding new cities, we'd take that same concept and say, we want you to run this workshop in whichever way you want, but we want you to find out from the women in your area what you want from Ladies at UX. And I think that variety and creating a meetup around the location that you're in has sort of helped Ladies at UX adapt. So whatever works for Sydney, Australia is not going to work in New York and whatever happens, works in San Francisco is not going to work for like Barcelona and all these different areas. So I think creating each meetup around user needs, which is all about the world, that's what UX is about, is creating a, a solution for a problem with those users. So very much applying you know, the, the the concept of, of UX yeah. to, you know, to your own meetups. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So taking those fundamental building blocks and applying it to a meetup. We did the same with the conference as well. So how do you create an experience for the attendees and make sure that it works really well? So you, you mentioned about it gives some of your members and the speakers a platform to you know, gain confidence, improve their mm -hmm. presentation skills. Can you give us some examples of people or how you've seen people kind of grow or gain confidence from actually being quite daunted to begin mm -hmm. with going into a new environment to actually then gaining their confidence? Yeah, so we've seen students come into Ladies at UX and started networking and then actually graduating and going on and getting jobs in the industry through their network. I think networking is such a big part of the UX industry and the tech industry I think who you know makes a big difference and and having that community around you as well when you if you struggle you've got friends to go to I've also seen people come into the events that have been quite junior or not spoken 
uh, they've um, dipped their toe in the water at our monthly meetups and then we've seen them at the conference. So because we know that they've spoken at the monthly meetups, we've got confidence in them to go on a stage in front of 300 people and deliver a talk. I wow. think that's really, really, like that's amazing to see someone come to a small meetup of about 30 to 40 people and then the year after you see them speaking in front of 300 people is amazing. Gosh. Yeah, it's really rewarding. I can imagine for yourself and Georgie, when you're actually sat back now and, and seeing all these people kind of grow their careers, you know, blossoming, that really is rewarding. Yeah, and I think seeing them blossom, but also people that have moved to Manchester, seeing them building their network. Lara, who is running the Manchester event, like the events at the minute, she moved to Manchester from Scotland. She didn't really know many people here, but now because of Ladies at UX, she's like grounded in Manchester. She has got multiple jobs through it. I think building her network through the the meetup has been invaluable to her, and it's just amazing to see, even if they're not growing necessarily in their career like they're growing the network and building up friends i think that network at ladies ux is really amazing there's been times that i've struggled in my career and then you i've got friends through it that i'm able to go for a coffee with and maybe have a rant or a chat and you can reach out and yeah. you, can, you can share problems <laughs> yeah and i think i don't i'm not sure my husband loves hearing me talk to him about these things all the time but i don't think he understands my industry and the detail that my friends do and the people at ladies at UX do so it's good to have people that I can go and speak to and maybe get ideas and bounce bounce ideas around and get yeah it's, it's really nice how would you how would you say the actual industry has now changed over the last few years it has changed since we started Ladies at UX and I th think we're seeing that in Manchester and we're seeing it in different cities. So when we first started it, it was a women only event. We've opened that up now so that anyone that's supporting women or people that identify as female, we want to open that conversation and get people supporting the movement and what we're trying to do. And we can't do that if we just sit in a room and talk amongst ourselves. Yeah, that definitely has changed. The industry is becoming more balanced, but there's still a long way to go. From the days that me and Georgie didn't know any women in the industry and there was just the two of us, there's now companies that are getting to like a 30% split, which is better than it was. But like I said, there's still still a long way to go. So Lizzie, some, uh, some final questions if I might. When it comes to your daily routine, what would you say is your most proactive time of the day? That depends if I can get myself out of bed or not. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I wouldn't say I have a strict routine. Um, I will plan calls for first thing in the morning. Um, so because Ladies at UX is a global community, we have organisers that are based all around the world so for us to organize a call and all be on the phone at the same time I have to get up at six o'clock in the morning which probably is a lie to some people but I like that getting up early I've been on the phone for an hour sorting things out with um, people that I'm organizing the community with and then when I get off the phone at seven uh, I feel like I've already got things in place I feel good 
that have um, already had an impact and done something. So then I can have my breakfast, have a cup of tea, start to get ready for work and you already feel like you've achieved something. So getting up early, definitely. I'd say the mornings are my most productive yeah. time. Uh, so, so what would you say is your least productive time of the day then? After work. So once I've got home, commute, like commuted home, been at work all day. It's, it's that journey from when you've actually left work to actually you know, got home. Yeah, and I think you start to decompress and you've, I don't work in a physical job. So I do use my brain all day, which isn't physical, but it can be mentally draining. So um, there are things that I sometimes have to do in the evening as part of Ladies Eat Works, but I think it's best to get it done in the morning when you're like fresh yeah. out of bed. And so, so, so when you when you get home, how would you avoid that either that that procrastination, or how would you avoid those kind of feelings? So for me, if I do have stuff to do in the evening, I tend to remove myself from a space where I would normally relax. So either go to, I don't have an office at home, but I, um, I'd go to a coffee shop or a pub and find a quiet corner. And I know then that I'm in a space to do work. Um, when we first started Ladies Eat Wax Out, there'd be another hour or two after every day where I'd be sat on my laptop doing work. So get myself out of the flat or the house and uh, yeah, get into a workspace. In terms of kind of advice to others, uh, what can our listeners or readers do today that could help them step outside that comfort zone? It's just putting yourself into that situation and knowing that you can deal with it once you get there. Going back to my university days when I would go to meetups, it's a tricky one because I know that anxiety and those kind of mental issues can block you from getting into that situation in the first place. But I think you just need to take little steps. If you know what your comfort zone is at the minute and you know where you want to get to, what are the little steps that you can start to do that get you out of your comfort zone? So maybe if you're like happy spending the weekend in bed watching Netflix the whole time and not going out, like going out and meeting people, or um, I think it's gradual and for me, I probably wouldn't have imagined that being this position today. And I've not taken any massive steps. It's just constantly doing little things that throw you or make you feel uncomfortable. And over time, you'll look back and you'll be in a position that you never thought. Yeah, so, so very much kind of baby steps and you'll gain confidence by doing. Yeah, and I think doing it over and over again, you become it gets you into a position where you don't think about it anymore and it's only when someone asks you and you retrospectively look back that you realize how far you've come well lizzie thank you very much for being part of 12 scholars today and uh, wish you well for uh, ladies at ux and the talk ux is september thank you and um, good luck with everything that uh, you're involved with yeah thanks for having me That was Lizzie Kelly Dyson, one of those unassuming people who are quietly doing amazing things. In this episode, we learned more about being proactive and how stepping outside your comfort zone can lead to greater things. Lizzie's advice is to constantly do things that make you feel uncomfortable. Start with small things and over time, they'll become easier. Put yourself out there and attend local networking events. 
and use your network to share ideas and learn new skills. To learn more about Lizzie and meet other inspiring people, visit our website at 12scholars.com and join a tribe dedicated to personal development. That was a 12 Scholars podcast. If you liked the episode, be sure to tell one of your friends. My name is Bob and I look forward to joining you next time.